Disney has become involved in the culture wars here, and Iger is now saying publicly that it's a problem. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, December 6th. Today, I'm joined by Matt Bellany to talk about whether Disney has gone too woke. CEO Bob Iger said last week that Disney needs to focus more on entertainment and less on pushing political messages. Matt breaks down what those comments mean. We also dig into holiday movies, what's tracking to do well at the box office over the holidays, and why the streamers are making more corny Christmas movies than ever before. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, TEND is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. I'm joined today by the one, the only, Matt Bellany. My colleague at Puck, host of the Town Podcast, also part of the Ringer Network. Matt ended up on a few top 10 podcast lists, I feel like. Uh, people people were buzzing about your podcast this year. Congrats, buddy. I appreciate it. I don't, does that count as buzz? Uh, we'll see. I think so. I mean, according to your completely out of context Spotify podcast host results, all the percentages were up for you. They so, were, yes. Yeah. Some know, of them up the baseline is. But you're going up, up, up. I love it. Yeah, it's it's one of those metrics where they seem to say a lot, but actually say almost nothing. It's like, you're up 124% <laughs> this year. It's like, great, what was I at before? Oh, we can't tell you. Yeah, yeah in sports, they call that stat porn. It's like, what? what? Like you're, this is the, he's had the highest on-base percentage in odd year seasons of any American League player since 1994. Oh, cool. Uh, but I will take it. It makes for a nice Instagram exactly. story post. Exactly. That's what we're here for, the content, of mm -hmm. course. Matt, I want to talk to you about something fascinating Bob Iger said, and you wrote about this for Puck this week in a story titled Iger's Disney Dewokening. This might have gotten lost in the hullabaloo around Elon Musk's uh, outburst at the, at the Dealbook Summit, um, hosted by Andrew Ross Sorkin last week. But Bob Iger was also there, and not only did uh, Elon tell him to go fuck himself. <laughs> but, you know, Iger himself was on stage and in conversation with Andrew said something quite provocative, which is that, quote, creators lost sight of what their number one objective needed to be. We have to entertain first. It's not about messages. He's basically talking about, and you fill in the details here, the idea that Disney and a lot of the sort of films and shows they made in recent years have been too sort of message-driven in the post-2020 Black Lives Matter era. Their characters have been a little too <laughs> leaning into the culture, and they've sort of like lost uh, a little bit of a connection with their audience. And this is also happening against the backdrop of 
Ron DeSantis going to war with Disney a couple years ago in Florida. Give us some context here as to why Iger is now backtracking and saying, uh, let's entertain. Let's not worry about, you know, politics when we make our content. Well, first of all, the context here is Iger is having to now explain why Disney content has had such problems, most notably at the box office this year. They've had a number of films that have not performed, most recently The Marvels, which is on track to become the lowest grossing Marvel movie since basically Iron Man back in twenty mm-hmm. in 2008. And... That's not good. So people are saying, well, what's the problem here? Why are Disney animation movies not performing? Why has Pixar had a a rough run? Why is all of this happening at the same time? And it's coinciding with this movement in conservative media that Disney has become too woke, that Mm. it's casting decisions, whether it's hiring a Latina actress to play Snow White in the reimagining, whether it's a recent Disney animation movie, Strange World, that had a gay son storyline where he was openly courting another teen boy in the movie. Iger calls it messaging, but he's basically Mm -hmm. using a version of wokeness or PC or progressive or any, whatever you want to call it. And he's acknowledging for the first time that this is having an impact on the Disney business, which I think is very significant. Iger has not said that publicly before. And he has always taken the position that Disney is a more progressive and liberal leaning company. He was the first to tweet about the Florida don't say gay bill and say that it's wrong. And he agrees with Joe Biden. He was considering running for president himself as a Democrat. So Disney has become involved in the culture wars here. And Iger is now saying publicly that it's a problem. So you kind of made this point, which I thought was important, which is a lot of people in our world, if you you know live in one of the elite power centers of, of this country, you kind of roll your eyes at the idea of like Disney being woke. This is something that like Fox News made up, you know, kind of like the like Bud Light scandal. You said you were in Arizona. You're watching Strange World and there's interracial parents. There's a gay teen. There's a disabled dog in that movie. And you heard some audible groans during the gay (laughs) courtship scenes in that movie. And so Iger must be seeing something out there in the world, out there in the numbers, where he's like, huh, our North Star needs to be butts and seats in, you know, not just in New York and Los Angeles and Austin, Texas, but in Cincinnati and Tulsa and Tucson and and Tampa. Um, Because, you know, I can imagine out there in that world, I mean, this is crazy to me, but like the Little Mermaid was was a a black character in the new Little Mermaid. I can see people seeing that billboard out there in the world and be like, why does the Little Mermaid have to be black? I thought Ariel was white because I liked the last Little Mermaid. Why are they changing up if not for politics and politics alone? And so it seems like, Iger is sort of (laughs) inhabiting those brains at the moment. Yeah, and I think he's doing it because he has to. I mean, Disney, for its most of its existence, has been an everything brand. It's all things to everybody. And it's a brand that people have a strong emotional connection to. They don't Mm -hmm. just watch the movies. They physically travel to the theme parks and experience the brand. And you want people in red country to 
want to experience the Disney brand just as much as you want people in blue country to do it. So mm -hmm. Iger is looking at this and he's saying, you know, he's not saying that they can't be progressive in their storytelling. And if the best actress for the job is a black actress for the little mermaid, hire the black actress for the little mermaid. He's not saying to not mm -hmm. do that. What he's saying is, is that the number one objective has to be entertainment first. It has to be, that the black actress is the best for the role and it can't overwhelm the storytelling. The storytelling needs to be the first priority and the political messaging should not be the deciding factor here. And this was a big issue with the Florida stuff because if you remember when the previous CEO, the Iger's handpicked successor, Bob Chapek, when he decided mm -hmm. to stay out of the Florida debate over that law, which was anti-gay, Chapek got instant backlash, especially from people at Pixar. And the Pixar employees went public with their displeasure. And they said that they had been censored, essentially, by Disney. That they had same-sex content, same-sex kisses and such in movies. And it had all been taken out by Disney. And Chapek's response to that was essentially to give in to his employees and insert a same-sex kiss into the Lightyear movie. And when he did that, it was seen as a big victory by the employees at Pixar that they got some of their messaging into this movie. Now, that movie comes out. That movie flops. I don't think that movie flopped because of the one-second kiss between two women. But it did flop, and it became a narrative. It became part of this discourse that has emerged around Disney that it is not necessarily an everyone brand anymore, that it has an agenda. And what Iger is saying here is that we have to take a step back and say, what are we doing here? We are an all entertainment, most people possible company. And if it means dialing back the messaging, we're going to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He said in that Andrew Sorkin interview the other day, I like being able to entertain if you can infuse it with positive messages and have a good impact on the world. Fantastic. But that should not be the objective. When I came back to Disney, what I've really tried to do is return to our roots. That that sort of comment from Iger reminded me of uh, Ron Brownstein, a moment in Ron Brownstein's uh, book, 1974, that I read a, a few months ago. And it's basically about like the year 1974 in Los Angeles and how it changed politics and movies and music and all this stuff. And he writes about how in the late 60s and early 70s, you had the kind of like taxi driver easy rider like paul schrader style like movies that like had a message and they were dark and they talked about the sort of dark undercurrents of society and that kind of had replaced the sort of like happy movies that had come before it but those movies and films had a, a limit in terms of how many people would go watch them and then spielberg and george lucas came along with like star wars and jaws and they were like and I think George Lucas even said this, but like the goal here is to entertain. It's not to like, get, you know, we just want butts in seats. We want people to see big blockbuster movies and they don't have to have a message. People like don't want to be bludgeoned with politics when they go see a movie. They want to be dazzled. And that this is sort of reminding me of that uh, moment in the book. Yeah, well, what Iger is saying, though, is he's not saying he's anti-diversity or anti-progressivism per se. There's a place for it, and he specifically cites Black Panther in that interview. You know, he says Black Panther is mm -hmm. a great example of that. There was a very culturally specific character from the Marvel comics that inhabits an all-black universe, and that mm -hmm. movie was phenomenally successful 
for Disney. A lot of people at Marvel did not want to make that movie because the thinking at Marvel, especially by its its chairman, Ike Perlmutter at the time, was that black superhero movies would not sell. And Iger overruled him. They made that movie. It was very successful. So he's not saying that we're gonna, they're going to pull back. But what he's saying is it has to make sense. Something like Black Panther made sense. Something like Encanto makes sense. It's a culturally specific movie, but it is prioritizing you know fun songs by Lin-Manuel Miranda. It is not about the messaging. And what he's saying is that Disney can do both, but it has to be focused on the entertainment aspect first. Bottom line, Bob Iger will not be commissioning an animated feature about the Free Palestine Movement on the campus of Harvard University. I'm guessing he is not. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, when we come back, I want to ask you about holiday movies. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome back to the powers that be, everybody. Uh, you know, when I think I was growing up, when Matt was growing up, when a lot of you people listening were growing up, like the holidays were a moment when studios would release blockbuster movies and Oscar bait, you know, right before the end of the year. I think release schedules have probably changed over the years, Matt. And yes I and do no. want to ask you. Yes and okay. no. There's still the big holiday plays, but uh, now a lot of the big awards movies debut on streaming or get very, very small theatrical releases. Interesting. Okay, so when I'm looking at streaming right now, I, I open Netflix and it's just like their version of Hallmark movies. Like they're so bad. They look so bad. They get bad reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. And yet people I've tried. Watch. I can't. I can't. I mean, is that is Netflix doing more? Christmas slash holiday theme movies this year than they ever have. Well, everybody is serve that. Everybody okay. is because it is a proven genre of cheap movie making that delivers an audience. If you look at the Julie Alexander Puck wrote a great piece about this. If you look at the top ten lists around the holidays in pretty much the entire month of December, it's all mm. of these Christmas movies, and a lot of them are originals. Hallmark and Lifetime mm. do a ton of originals. Netflix has gotten really into that game. There's some elsewhere, mm. and then it's the the classics: The Home Alones, Elf. You know, all of these. You oh, know, the yeah. Santa Claus. All of these movies. They do huge numbers around the holidays. People just put them on, just like they used to turn on TNT and watch a Christmas story on repeat. Totally. I mean, it, it, Christmas story, love actually, home alone. Like there's a lot of like Christmas comfort food that I love, but uh, you know, I'm just, um, maybe I'm just being curmudgeonly, but like people watch like, the original best Christmas ever and family switch and let it snow. I'm like, are these going to be legendary movies? You know Timeless? what? Netflix so. is the new CBS. So it's like whatever used to play on CBS is now a hit on Netflix. So that's just the that's just what people watch. But you can also go to Netflix to see some of the awards movies too. May December, the Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore movie, which I've seen, is very good. That is on mm-hmm. 
Netflix right now. They have Nyad, which is less good, which is the uh, female swimmer movie with Jodie Foster mm-hmm. and Annette Benning. You know, a bunch of these other Netflix, they'll have Maestro around the holidays. They've got a bunch of other than Netflix kind of awards movies that are there. Uh, but it's, you know, it's just a different business than theaters because the traditional studios have their big holiday movies that are set to come out. And this year is interesting because there's not a real guaranteed avatar style gonna make all the money movie on the slate this year so you've got access to some early tracking um you know among the big movies that are being put out in theaters the big bets at least what's what's doing well so far the one that seems to be tracking in the right direction is wonka actually the willy wonka prequel movie starring timothy chalamet and directed by the director of paddington and Mm -hmm. it's being pitched as kind of all audience family movie. It opens on the 15th and the tracking for this one, the opening weekend is up to about 42 right now. And that would be a very strong movies. The movies around the holidays, they between Christmas and new year's every day is basically like a Saturday. So you can open a movie before the holidays and then expect it to play through Christmas and New Year's. And all of a sudden you come back from the break and random movies have grossed $100 million. At least that's how it used to work. It's a little bit different these days, but there are a lot of movies that are opening right around Christmas that are going to try to take advantage of that strategy. The biggest is Aquaman, Aquaman 2, Aquaman in the Last Kingdom. Sorry, The Lost Kingdom. Uh, which does not look great, and it costs like $250 million. (laughs) That one's opening, the tracking is about 40, which would be less than Wonka. It's interesting because they're both Warner Brothers. And that would be a big disappointment for a movie that cost that much. For for the noobs out there in this world like myself, when you talk about tracking, what, how does that work? Like what, like, because the movie's not out yet. Well, there are services that gauge public sentiment towards movies. And they do this in any number of ways. Everything from going to test screenings, engaging people's interest, to literally interviewing people on the street, to having you know projections based on comps, like movies that are similar and how they have performed to the release date and the competition. It's a very sophisticated business in predicting how well movies will do. And sometimes they're right. Sometimes they are wildly wrong. And sometimes the tracking (laughs) can shift dramatically in the days leading up to a movie, especially in the social media era now, where things just kind of catch on. Like none of the tracking services predicted Barbenheimer this summer. I mean, though that was a phenomenon that took off. and That seems the, like a huge miss. That's like the New York miss. Times needle in 2016. <laughs> that is, <laughs> except that happens a lot of weekends. You get the needle, but, uh, you know, twice a month in Hollywood. I know, and it's very difficult. That's why everyone in L.A. is crazy, because you don't know <laughs> until the movie opens what it's actually going to do. I mean, the Taylor Swift movie... Most people, including myself, thought it was actually going to do more than what it did. We, I was predicting in the low hundreds for that opening. It ended up at 93. And then you have something like Five Nights at Freddy's, which was a movie <laughs> at Universal that most people, some people there thought it was unreleasable. It was so bad. And that movie comes out of the gate. It's based on a video game franchise. And it becomes the, one of the biggest movies ever to open in October. So it wow. just, you never know on this stuff. Aquaman, the first one, was not tracking great. And then it did a billion dollars worldwide. So you, you just don't know. And another one that's coming out of the holidays that's supposed to be big, but the tracking is not good so far, is Migration, which is a kids movie, uh, sorry, an all audience movie 
from Universal, the Illumination Studio that did Super Mario Brothers earlier this year. That is tracking only 13 million over the four-day weekend leading up to Christmas. And that would not be a very good opening for that movie. I think the hope is that over the last couple of weeks of the year that the tracking of the ads will hit and some of the outreach will hit and that will rise up. Um, the Color Purple, the reimagining of the Spielberg original as a musical based on the Broadway play, huh. that's opening Christmas Day and it's projected to gross $8 million on Christmas Day. That's not bad for that kind of movie. That movie costs $90 million, so they've got, it to, they've got to have it do really well over that Christmas week. But eight million is not bad for that. Any other movies we should be looking out for? Yeah, I mean, there's a Sydney Sweeney Glenn Powell rom com called Anyone But Oh, this you. is big on TikTok. This if the is. tracking misses the sentiment around this, it's that needle is broken. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it's only tracking to open to seven million right now for the four days before Christmas. This this is going to be a big test because this seems like the kind of movie that would be direct to Netflix. But uh-huh. the, their star power, Sidney Sweeney and Glenn Powell, is a little bit on the rise. So they're yeah. trying it in theaters, and we'll see if it actually works in theaters. There's an A24 movie, a wrestling movie with uh, the guy from The Bear, Jeremy Allen White, and Zach Efron called The Iron Claw. Uh, that's scheduled for that weekend <laughs> as well, opening to around That's going to crush in Iowa. I, honestly, I think that movie will actually open. <laughs> I think it'll do okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of HGH in that movie. I think um, there's a Clooney movie. Clooney directed a movie called Boys in the Boat from Amazon that's in theaters for Christmas. Not tracking well, only two million. The big potential bomb of the holiday season. I hate to say this because I do like Michael Mann movies. There's a Ferrari mm-hmm. movie that is scheduled for Christmas Day, and it is tracking right now pretty poorly. Only two million on Christmas Day. And that movie costs more than $100 million. So they need to get... Now, it's a Ferrari movie, so they will it will be much bigger in Europe, probably. But Adam Driver's in that, Michael Mann. They want that movie to do a lot more. It doesn't seem to be an awards movie, really. So they're not going to get that bump. But, um, yeah, because all these... The awards movies get a bump when the nominations start coming out, the Golden Globe nominations, right. the SAG Awards, and then ultimately the Oscar noms. And then it, the, the goal is to open these movies small, and then you will have the season to ride it through. There's an Emma Stone movie called Poor Things, which I've seen, um, which is sort of a female Frankenstein movie, Hard R. And that movie is hoping to galvanize around the awards attention to generate you know, box office. We'll see. It's just tougher these days because the expectation is that stuff goes to streaming. So you really got to have an excuse for people to go to theaters. In that Ferrari movie, uh, Adam Driver is Enzo Ferrari. And he looks, I mean, great hair and makeup job. He looks transformed there. One last thing before you go. I had my first foray into the WGA theater uh, in Beverly Hills last week. A friend of mine took me to see a screening of Napoleon. I liked it. Because I veer toward like you know historical epics. That's a movie. <laughs> I was not a fan. <laughs> that doesn't have any political message. Um, how is is that doing? I know it's on Apple TV as well. Uh, no, it's it, not there that... yet. It's going there. Okay, but it gotcha. is an Apple movie that's being released by Sony. Ridley Scott directed Joaquin Phoenix. I thought it was pretty bad. It was sort of two movies. Like the battle scenes were cool, but then it was this weird like marital drama with. They were having fertility problems, and it was like kind of overwhelmed the story. Ah, it's a biopic. I know, but it's it just I, – I found it really boring. I, again, my mm. taste is not 
the determining factor here. The critics did not like it. The audience gave it a B minus cinema score on opening weekend. That's not good. That's actually the equivalent of like a D or a D minus. But um, and it's not going to do a ton of money in theaters. And it doesn't seem to be an awards movie. So that's probably mm. a miss. Interesting. I like Vanessa Kirby a lot. I we'll do like she, her. She, she And I thought she was very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, man. Thanks for all the holiday guidance. Uh, and I of will course, assume- for your holiday viewing, Barbie is on Max starting December 15th. Oh, baby. I mean, I assume that'll get a get a holiday pop uh, on the small screen. Oh, it's going to be uh, gigantic. All, all, and, all the buzz around it this year. Yeah, and, and Barbie is now an awards movie. Gosling's going to get nominated right. and probably the movie for Best Picture and then the music, and I'm sure it'll get a ton of nominations. Family disclosure, my wife works for Mattel, but that would be awesome. That yes. would be awesome. No, I'm rooting for it as well. That would be nice. I just want Gosling to get up on the Oscar stage and sing the Ken song. <laughs> it's so good. I don't it's care if it gets nominated it or not. It just gets stuck in your head. Yeah, he just need, they need a, like a huge production number with the Ken song. All right, well, Matt, I assume tonight you and the family will be uh, gathering around the TV to watch the 12 Cats of Christmas or something on the Hallmark Channel. Thanks for joining me. No problem. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.